Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Let me just tell you what a joy it is for to be here this morning and welcome you to Southeastern Seminary and the college at Southeastern. As we begin this year, hopefully it'll be a different year than the year we had before. Uh, But really, our focus remains the same. When we say that Southeastern Seminary is a Great Commission Seminary, we mean this is the water that we swim in. It's the language that we use. It's the priority that we set. It doesn't mean that we think every person who attends Southeastern ought to go overseas and be a missionary. We think more ought to go than actually do. But when we say that Southeastern is a Great Commission Seminary, what we mean by that is we want you to process everything that God has called you to, every ambition, every dream that you have through the filter and the grid of God's great commission. And this morning, we're going to focus our attention on the great commission that's given in Luke chapter 24. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, you can turn your phone or your iPad on and follow along with me as I read Luke chapter 24. We're going to begin reading in verse 44. This is after Jesus's Uh, resurrection after he has encountered the disciples on the road to Emmaus he's now encountering his his disciples in the room and he says these are the words that I spoke to you when I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled and then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them now this is what's written The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed to the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. I read a story several years ago about a a businessman who went to a village And he was negotiating with the chief about some import-export business. He wanted to be able to to take some of the goods that had been produced by some of the the, the folks in the village, wanted to bring them in, wanted to sell them uh, and make some money. And so they were negotiating profit margins and negotiating these things. And then at some point after they'd eaten a meal, the conversation shifted to the Western exploitation of indigenous peoples. And the businessman just began to to harp on and on about how he wanted to be a man of integrity and this type of thing. And then he turned to Christian missionaries and he said, the fact of the matter is though, you know, those Christian missionaries are the worst of the worst. They come in, they don't respect culture, they change and destroy what people are doing, they disrespect other people's beliefs. He just went on and on, rambled about the, the wickedness and the evil of Christian missions. Well, the chief listened for a little while and then... He held up his hand and he said, sir, I think you need to be careful about criticizing what you don't understand. He said, you see, our people have always been a fighting people. In fact, our greatest joy was shrinking the heads of our enemies and eating their flesh. But several years ago, some missionaries came into our village and they introduced us to Jesus. And if it hadn't been for this, you might have been dinner instead of being our guest at dinner tonight. Maybe you ought to be thankful for missionaries. The fact of the matter is, I think that as we look at this passage of Scripture, what I want to talk to you about today is the fact that we can be thankful and rejoice in God's Great Commission. Often when we think about the Great Commission, it comes to us like a 
a preacher I heard one time who was, was asking for an offering, a Lottie Moon Christmas offering or something like that, and he said, now look, if you parents don't give enough, we're just going to pray God will send your kids overseas. She ought to just give a lot of money. Sometimes we think about missions that way, as if it's a source of guilt or a source of shame or some type of pressure, as opposed to looking at God's great commission as a reason to rejoice, a reason to be happy. A reason to find direction and security. And so this morning from this passage of Scripture, I want to point out two reasons why we can find joy and be thankful for missions. First of all, we can find joy and, and be thankful for God's mission because the Great Commission shows us what's important to God. And therefore, it shows us what ought to be important to us. Listen, at a time in your life and, and in our life, it's natural for us to ask the question, God, what's your will for my life? What should I do next? What do I need to be studying for? What do I need to be looking forward to doing? And there are a lot of ways that you can make that decision. There are a lot of factors you could use to figure out what do I want to do when I grow up. Maybe it's money. God, I want to be secure. It doesn't have to mean that you're seeking filthy lucre or just want to be wealthy so that you can tell other people and, and just boast and brag about how much money you have. Maybe you think, I want to be secure financially or I want to be able to, to make enough money to, to, to fund other things that happen. So maybe you make decisions based on your finances or reputation. Maybe you want someone to look at you and say, look at where you've come from or look at how hard you've worked or what you've become. If you make a decision, what you want to be based on your reputation or maybe some ease of life. Maybe you think, man, I've worked all my life or my parents have worked really hard. I want to do something that I can relax or retire early from. Or perhaps it's a decision based on tradition. This is what folks have always done for my family or this is what my parents want me to do. How do we make decisions about our future and about our life's priority? I think the Great Commission actually gives us the grid that allows us to make that decision. It actually makes decision-making a whole lot easier. You see, this passage shows us that what's important to God is God's mission. Whatever's important to God ought to be important to us. You see, we reach this point at, in Jesus' ministry at the end of his life, and he's, he's talking to his disciples, and they're, they're confused about the plan. They really don't understand what's happening here. And Jesus reminds them, hey, guys, God has a plan. God's doing something. He's got this okay. Let's just join him. Look what it says. It says, and Jesus opened their minds, this is verse 45, to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, this is what is written. In other words, when Jesus is talking about how to set the priority for your life, he takes all of their external confusion and external frustration and he harnesses all their attention and he says, let's look at the Bible. So what does the Bible teach us? And then he summarizes the whole Old Testament, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets by saying this. This is what's written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You see, from this passage, we see that from the opening pages of Scripture, the will of God has been made known to anyone who will read the Bible. And the will of God is running on a single track with two priorities. He has a messianic priority and a missional priority. 
The messianic priority is that the Christ would come, that he would suffer, and that he would die. We know that. We read the Bible. We see in the law, the first five books of the Bible. We see in the prophets, in the Psalms, the prophecies about the coming of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We know that the priority of God's work from the opening pages of the Bible is the coming of Messiah to redeem the world, to save the world from sin. And Jesus says it's also that the gospel would be preached, repentance and forgiveness of sin would be preached to the nations. So I think it's important that we realize that this is one sentence. When Jesus is summarizing the Bible, he summarizes it in one sentence with the conjunction and in the middle. When you put an and somewhere, you're not saying this is bigger than this or this but this or this or this. This and this. What is God doing? What's the plan of the Bible? What's the message of the Bible? It is that the Messiah would come and suffer and die and rise again on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached all the nations. In other words, it is as important that the message of the gospel is proclaimed to all the nations in the fulfillment of God's plan as that Christ came and suffered and died. Why? Because God's passion is for the nations to hear, to respond, to worship. It is clear that God's will and his desire is not just for one nation or one group of people, but for the nations, all of them. To hear the gospel and to respond. What is our missionary message? Here, there there are three key points to our missionary message. First, it is that that, that the, the message of repentance would be proclaimed to all the nations. In other words, our missionary message is calling people to turn from the false worship to true worship. From living apart from God to living for God. To turn their back on their sin. To turn their back on the hopeless, fruitless ways of their life. Missiologist Paul Hebert says, As people are called to leave their false gods, their self-idolatry, with its obsession with wealth and power and pride and sex and race, and return to God as their creator and their Lord. You see, the message that we proclaim is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a single person on the planet who's right with God apart from Christ. Jesus came and suffered and died, but we have to preach the message that the world needs to repent. We need to repent. You had to repent. You have to turn toward Christ. Repentance and, he says, forgiveness of sins. In other words, the Christian message isn't just one of pointing out the faults and the flaws and the failures of the world, but it's offering good news to those who are suffering, languishing, under the penalty of sin. You see, the gospel is good news because it offers a way for people to be freed from the shame that they feel because of the life they've lived, because of the guilt that we suffer, because of the powerlessness that we experience, because of the hopelessness that's a result of a life apart from God. And the Christian message is one that says, according to 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he is faithful. He is just to forgive you of that sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The gospel is good news 
Because around the world, there are people who are languishing. They are struggling to find a way to eliminate the guilt they feel, the shame that they carry, the powerlessness that they experience, the hopelessness that they endure. But God's message is that to the nations, there would be a message that says there is forgiveness for your sins. It's not found at the foot of a statue. It's not found in a mosque. It's not found trying to follow the, the eightfold path of the Buddha or the difficult rituals of other religions. It's found in Jesus. Like the prodigal son, most of the world is living in the pig pen, hoping, begging, praying that the fodder that the pigs eat will actually satisfy the longing of their heart. But like the prodigal son, finding out day after day, it is empty, it is hopeless, it is not satisfying. When all along, all along, there's a father with open arms and a house full of things that will satisfy. And our message is come to the Father. He will take away your sin. He will take away your shame. He'll cover your guilt. Because the Messiah suffered and died and rose again on the third day. We have a message. It's a message that says to the world, you're not right with God. You're not right with your Creator right now. But there is hope. Come to Him. It's important we also notice that this, Jesus says that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. In his name. The death of Jesus on the cross was sufficient to pay the price for the sins of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But the death of Christ on the cross is only effective for those who personally place their faith in Jesus as their Savior. It's enough, but you just have to believe. The Bible doesn't know anything of a form of universalism that says that, that at some point every person will be saved because God's a nice God and loves them. The message of the Bible is that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in Jesus is forgiveness. In Jesus is salvation. I'll never forget the day. I was sitting in a room with a bunch of guys from a Muslim country. They'd all, a week or so before, placed their faith in Jesus. And so we had moved from evangelism to discipleship. And, and so they were, they were talking. I didn't understand their language. I was working through a translator. And so I walked in the room and I could tell something wasn't right. I said, guys, what's up? And one one guy turned to the translator and he started talking and I didn't know what he was saying and the rest of the people chimed in and they were just going back and forth and I thought, man, this, this isn't going well. Something's not, something's not right. So the translator said, said, so we just have some questions. So you're telling us that in order to go to heaven, you have to believe in Jesus. And I said, well, yeah. I'm thinking, we already covered that. This is not new. And they talked a little bit longer and they said, so, so you're telling us that, 
that if a person doesn't believe in Jesus, that they, they can't be forgiven of their sins and, and they can't go to heaven. And I finally said, guys, can you, what's happening here? I don't understand what you're talking about. We've already covered this. And they said, no, 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 Scott, I understand. We believe in Jesus. It's not us that we're worried about. But as we were reading the Bible and thinking, we're thinking about our parents and our family members and our friends. No, nobody's ever told them this. Is there really no way they can get to heaven? If nobody's ever told them? The question about what happens to those who've never heard is, a, is an agonizing one. It's one that maybe, maybe we deal with in our classrooms in a sterile sense, in a philosophical sense. But sometimes when you sit across from someone and you know that there are names and you know that there are faces and you know that there are, are beloved family members who fit into that category, all of a sudden the answer becomes much more painful. Sometimes I want to avoid the question altogether. I want to say, let's talk about something else. But we can't. We can't ignore the question because the consequences are too great. The consequences of those who never hear, those who never place their faith in Jesus, those who've never experienced a, a missionary or witness who says to them, you need to repent and have your sins forgiven. Honestly, I wish sometimes I could ignore the question, but there are millions of people around the world who fall into this category. And the Bible has one very clear answer. And listen to me, it's not popular. In fact, it's painful. The Bible is clear that unless a person hears and personally responds to the gospel, there is no hope for salvation. People are not protected from the wages of sin because of ignorance. God's mercy and God's justice do not allow for a broader path of forgiveness through lack of access to the gospel. In other words, when the Bible says that Jesus is teaching us that God's mission and God's priority from the opening pages of Scripture are that the nations hear that repentance and forgiveness of sins be preached to all the nations, the fact is that today there are countless millions of people who've never heard. And there are places around the world that are underserved. This passage reminds us that there has to be a time, there has to be a way when we prioritize in our life God's mission. You ask the question, God, what's your will for my life? I would recommend this morning that the Great Commission ought to be the grid through which you answer that question. It doesn't mean that you immediately sell everything that you have and you go to Afghanistan or you go to, to South Africa or you go to some other place in the world. That's not the way that you answer the question. The way that you answer the question is you ask God, what's your will for my life and how does it work inside this grid that your will, that your purpose, your mission is that the nations hear that repentance and forgiveness of sins be proclaimed to the nations in my name. As you think about your studies and your career, ask the question, how do I orient all that I want to do around God's mission?
One of our, one of our ambitions at, at Southeastern is, is to help that you shape this thinking. We give you opportunities. We teach you in the classrooms. It's the reason that our faculty members travel overseas. It's the reason that we hear missionaries in our classrooms. It's the reason that we provide short-term mission experiences. It's to, to give you the opportunity to ask the question, God, how can your mission shape my future? We're going to rejoice in the Great Commission. Without the Great Commission, we're just left to our own devices to create. What's the priority? What's the most important thing? Is it money? Is it mama? Is it tradition? Is it reputation? But because of the Great Commission, we can say the thing that is important to God has to be important to me. It has to be. If I'm going to live like a Christian, then what God prioritizes must be my priority. College students, you're going to hear of the next year or so a new emphasis, go-to emphasis. We're going to put in front of each of you the, the challenge to think about taking at least the first two years after you graduate to serve somewhere in connection with a church planting team. For some of you, we're going to ask you to think about graduating from college and going on the international mission field for two years as part of our journeyman program. But for some of you, we're going to ask you don't, not, not to do that, but to stay in the United States and to, to connect with our North American mission board. And we're going to serve as the liaison to help you do this, to connect with our North American mission board and to connect with church planters scattered throughout the United States of America. Say, so how can I get a job in that city, the thing that I was educated to do, and then partner with a church plant in that city? Listen, you got to go somewhere. you got to get a job somewhere. Mom and Dad don't want you to come back home when you're finished here. So you got to go somewhere. You may as well go and participate in God's mission. And we want to raise the bar and really challenge you as you walk across the stage and Dr. Aiken, take Dr. Aiken by the hand. We we'll challenge you to have the answer to the question, where will I spend at least the next two years of my life? Can I join that with God's mission? Graduate students, our, our challenge for you throughout your studies is going to be to ask yourself, what, how is my path running through God's mission? Whatever it is that God's called me to do whether it's to serve as a senior pastor or to serve on a support staff in a local church or to serve in the business world or to serve as a missionary, ask the question, this is my path. This is where I think God is calling me. How does this fit into God's mission? If you can't answer that question, then we don't want you to graduate. I mean, we don't want you to like stay forever. Our motto is go, and we really mean that, right? Go. But we want you to be able to answer that question before you go. We want to be thankful for the Great Commission. Not stressed, not overburdened, not overtaxed. Thankful for the Great Commission. Because it gives us direction in our life. It shows us what's important to God. Second, the Great Commission also reminds us of this. It reminds us of God's greatness and of God's faithfulness. It's tempting to read a passage like this and just stare at it as if you're looking at one side of the coin and forget there's another side of the coin. Several years ago, I was looking at this passage, meditating on it, and I was thinking about a bunch of, bunch of friends that I had who were just being beaten up by life. Kids had cancer, kids were rebellious, parents were aging, people were sick, financial strain. And it dawned on me as I was reading this passage 
this is actually not given to us as a command. It's given to us as a source of encouragement. It's a reminder of God's greatness. It's a reminder that God has a plan. And that plan is working itself out. It's as if Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey guys, don't be afraid and and don't be frustrated by what you don't understand. God's still in charge. They didn't understand Jesus' death. They didn't understand his resurrection. They didn't understand why he was standing in front of them. And he said, look, I told you this from the beginning. And this is what the Bible says in the law, the Psalms, and the prophets, that the Messiah had to suffer and die and rise again, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached to all the nations. He's reminding them of God's greatness. He's reminding them of God's faithfulness. It's interesting that this passage could be seen as a bridge to the opening chapter of the book of Acts. Luke, you know, wrote, wrote both books. Can you imagine a ragtag band of followers of Jesus, small broken down town in an occupied territory, thinking that now you were going to be like vice regents Only to be told, now is not the time. But then you were told, however, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. You'd probably sit there and think, yeah, right, that ain't happening. I mean, look at us. There's only 11 of us here, and how in the world are we ever going to do that? It's the same group of people who were given the, the mandate that, you're, that the, the gospel would be preached to all the nations. That repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. You could imagine just standing there thinking, yeah, that'll never happen. How could we, the, the, the few of us, reach the whole world? But you and I, as the readers of the New Testament, we have the advantage because we can see God's plan unfold. We see in Acts chapter 2, they become witnesses in Jerusalem. We see in Acts chapter 8, they become witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And then we see in Acts chapter 12 and to the end of the book that these men become witnesses to the very ends of the earth. Listen, God keeps his promises God promised that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed to all the nations. God promised that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We can rejoice in the Great Commission because it's a reminder that God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. We're all going to face crisis in our life. We're all going to run into circumstances. Maybe you already have, or maybe you're sitting in the middle of a moment. I don't mean the crisis that comes because you didn't study for your exam. I don't even think you should pray when that happens. I mean the real crisis that shows up. When something flips, something happens, and you begin to say, God, are you here? God, are you listening? Is there even a God? 
crisis sets in. You look at the promises of the Bible and you wonder, God, can you keep those promises? When that happens, let me make a suggestion. Go find the nearest mirror and look in it. And say to yourself, I was the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that was you. That was here. Oh, we read this passage about going to the nations and going to the ends of the earth, and we start in the United States, and we think about Afghanistan, and we think about China, and we think about Indonesia, that being the ends of the earth. But when this verse was given, it was us. It was you who were the ends of the earth. Think about the logistics. Think about the travel plans. Think about the complexity that you imagine today of taking the gospel to Afghanistan or to Indonesia or to somewhere else and just turn that around and remind yourself, God kept the promise that the gospel would be preached to the ends of the earth and I am the example of God keeping his promise. The fact that you're a Christian means that God keeps his promise. The fact that you're a Christian means that God determined, God knew, God promised that the nations would hear. Just look in the mirror and say, I'm the nations. I'm the ends of the earth. And if God could get the gospel to me, what promise in the Bible can he not keep? So we look at the Great Commission. Don't look at it as a source of frustration. Look at it as a source of encouragement. Say, God is keeping his word. We keep in mind that the missionary expanse that we face today, that we see today, is a testimony not just of the bravery of some a handful of Christians or Christians who are taking the gospel around the world, but the missionary advance that we see today is a testimony of God's ability, His greatness, and His faithfulness. Listen, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what is happening in your life. Maybe it's sickness, or maybe it's stress, or maybe it's finances, or maybe it's some other type of trouble. Maybe you think, God, I don't even know how to pray because I can't even begin to make suggestions of how you can fix this. God, I don't know where to start and I certainly don't know where to finish. If that's you, you're right where these people were. And you know that God can keep his promises. You are living proof that the Great Commission can be fulfilled. Be encouraged by the Great Commission. Read it and think, oh, look at that. God keeps his promise. Second, look at the Great Commission. Ask yourself, how do I redirect my life? How do I orient my life? When I ask God, what is your will for my life? Be reminded that there are still countless millions who have yet to hear. 
There are places in our country and in other countries where people need someone like you to tell them that repentance and forgiveness of sins is available in his name. Will you orient your life, your future, your calling according to the Great Commission? This is what we mean when we say Southeastern Seminary is a Great Commission seminary. Is we want you to think this way about everything that you do. The way you spend your money, the way you determine your major, the way you choose a career, the people that you date, the places that you go. God, the thing that's important to you, I want it to be important to me. Can you say that today? Are you willing to say, God, the thing that's important to you, I want to make it important to me. Let's pray together. With heads bowed and eyes closed across there, two, two groups of people I want to begin to really think about this morning. First, there's a moment right now when you can ask the question, God, I'm asking you what your will is. I want you to guide me. I want to make what's important to me, what's important to you, important to me. If you're willing to do that, this is your moment to say, God, whatever you say, I'll do. I'll put my yes on the table. I'll let you put it on the map. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do. Begin this semester with that priority. There's another group of people, probably a smaller group. And that's those of you who need to be reminded that God is good, that God is great. God is faithful. God's not forgotten you. You're not abandoned or alone. The fact that you're a Christian means that God hadn't forgotten you and that God is still faithful. And today, maybe you just need to come, lift your hands and pray and say, God, I just want to crawl into your lap and let you love me. I can't hang on because you're hanging on to me. Let God hold you today as a reminder of his faithfulness, of his goodness, that he keeps his promise. Father in heaven, I thank you today for the opportunity that we have of reading in your word about your calling, reading in your word about your commission. God, I pray that you would allow us to shape every decision we make, our direction, our calling, and all that we do around your great commission. Would you encourage our hearts today? as we begin this semester as a Great Commission Seminary. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.